The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. If you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at John chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. If you would turn there with me. If you don't have your Bible, it will come up on the, on the screen over here so you can read along with us when we get to it. Um, so this morning, the, the sermon title is Uncomfortable Love. And um, there are just some things in life where um, some certain questions that you're not supposed to ask people, right? Like you never ask a woman if she's pregnant, even if she looks it, right? You don't ask a woman also like how much she weighs, no matter how old or young. Um, you don't ask people how old they are unless they're kids, right? Like, you can ask a kid how old they are, but once you get past, like, teenage age and you get into adulthood, you're not supposed to ask how old somebody is. For some of you students, you're not supposed to ask somebody what you got on the test, right? Because that's private information that they don't want to share with you. And these days, maybe if you're interested in politics, or even if you're not, you don't ask somebody if they voted for Trump. And um, there are just some questions that you don't ask people because they overstep boundaries that are so personal that they require a certain of depth of relationship with them um, for it to be fair game in a conversation. And sometimes when I ask people how they're doing or how their week was, they immediately respond with, oh, it was fine or it was good. And a lot of times when I youth group students, I'll push them and be like, oh, was it really fine? Was it actually good? You know, like, what made it good? And they're like, why are you asking me all this stuff? Like, I just wanted to pass pass by and say hi, you know, that's it. And sometimes that 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 those follow-up questions move them to this place of, like, discomfort, where they have something that, that I'm trying to expose from them that they didn't want to be exposed in this brief conversation. We all know that love is something that's very important and probably maybe the most deep-seated need of the human heart. But there's something in us that would at times reject or flee from love. Maybe that person's questions are a little bit too probing or someone messages or snapchats you too often or they just stand too close to you and they're invading your personal space that person may just be trying to show you love but if we put it simply it makes us uncomfortable and so we turn it away in our passage today in john chapter 13 we see jesus engaging in a rich display of his love for his disciples but we also see how uncomfortable that love makes peter to the point where Peter tries to turn Jesus away. And I think even today we react sometimes to God's love in a similar manner to Peter, in that we can be made so uncomfortable by Jesus' love for us that we sometimes turn him away. And after loving on the disciples this way, Jesus commands them now to go and do the same for one another. And we'll see how Christ's call for us to love one another will sometimes push us into this uncomfortable territory of love for one another, both on the giving and the receiving ends. And then at the end of the message, we'll close with a few thoughts on how we can find the strength to be able to step out out of our comfort zones in obedience to Christ's call to love and be loved. So if you have your Bibles, let's read this passage together this morning. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. As Jesus washes his disciples' feet as an act of service to show them his love, um, one of the questions that I ask myself when I look at this passage is, why did Peter react so adamantly in opposition to what Jesus was trying to do to him, do for him, right? But before we can ask that question, I think maybe more importantly, we need to ask, well, why did Jesus even decide that he wanted to show his love in this particular way to the disciples, right? Jesus could have done it in so many different ways, and he had already done it in many different ways. He's shown the disciples love by engaging them in his teaching. He's shown them love by, by inviting them to participate in his miracles. He has shown them love in so many different ways before, even sharing meals with them or asking them to dine with him. But in this particular instance, in the last week of his life, as he's headed to the cross, he chooses to show love to the disciples in the specific act of washing their feet. So let's kind of pick this apart a little bit. And if, there's three different things that I want to point out about what this foot washing shows about Christ's love for us. One, it's countercultural. It went against the expectations of who was supposed to wash their feet and their expectation of who Jesus was supposed to be. The disciples still, at this point, hadn't quite understood what Jesus' purpose was in this world. They knew that he was supposed to be a king, but they thought that he was going to be a political king. And so for them to imagine the, the, the man who would become their king washing their feet was, like, totally going to blow everything out of their minds, right? They thought, man, this guy is supposed to be the one who's going to be sitting on the throne, royalty. There's no way that he's supposed to take the job of, this, of a servant. Servants were supposed to be the ones that were washing the feet of the guests, not their rabbi. It challenged the disciples' ideas of what their relationship with Jesus was supposed to look like. The second thing that I, I want to point out about this foot washing is that it was sacrificial. It was self-sacrificing. I think it's pretty fair to say that Jesus wasn't doing this for his own benefit. Right? When I was in youth group, we used to go um, on missions to the Dominican Republic. And one year when I was there, I was sitting in the pews for our morning devotional in the sanctuary. And... Um, we didn't have running water all the time on the, on, on the missions ground, right? And I could smell my feet from where I was sitting, right? I was literally sitting in a chair, and just while I was sitting there with my Bible open, all of a sudden I smelled something really, really nasty, and I realized in a couple of minutes that it was coming from my own feet that were on the ground, like four feet away, I could smell them. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so disgusting. And I'm sure that if, maybe if, you know, maybe if Jesus was there with me on that trip, he would have offered to wash my feet for his own benefit, so he wouldn't have to, have to smell them. And I'm sure that the disciples' feet at this time weren't that clean and didn't smell that pleasant either. But the point of Jesus washing their feet was not because they smelled so bad or dirty, but Jesus was humbling himself to take on the role of a servant so that he could serve his disciples and show them his love. The third thing that I'll point out is that it was intimate. Jesus didn't just sprinkle some water on their feet symbolically and, and say, okay, now your feet are clean because this is holy water. I did it magically, right? But John goes into the detail of describing how Jesus took off his, off his outer garments and he wrapped this towel around his waist. He was doing this properly, right? He, he was about to get down and dirty with these guys. And he bent on his knee and he washed their feet and he wiped them with a the towel that was wrapped around his waist. 
Jesus' love is not like a fist bump or a side hug, right? It's not this kind of polite, safe love. It's that bear hug that is so tight that your elbows get locked into their armpits and you can, like, feel their sweat in there, right? Where the person holds you just for a little bit too long that you're like, okay, it's okay to let go now, you know? He's really getting in there. He wants to be intimate with his disciples. So Jesus chooses this sort of an act of love for his disciples, and Peter takes it and he rejects it. We see him saying, Lord, do you wash my feet? And when Jesus responds, look, you don't know what I'm doing now. You, you won't understand this right now, but, but you will. And Peter responds immediately and says, no, you will never wash my feet. Why does Peter react this way? Well, it's almost like Peter was saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, I know that you've been teaching us about how the first will be last and the last will be first and like we need to be servant of all and all this stuff, but if we come down to it, it you're still my rabbi, right? You're still this man that I expect to be king. This is just too weird. So, so Jesus, please just get up. You really don't have to do this. I get it. You love me. You want to serve me. I got the message, but please just don't touch my feet. It would be easy for us to accept God's love if it was small and superficial, if it was rational, if it was normal, if it was, it was something that we could have expected. But because of how irrational and scandalous it is, how unbounded and sometimes how invasive it is, it's hard for us to, to not squirm. Jesus was trying to show the disciples this unconventional, sacrificial, intimate love, and all Peter could think about was how uncomfortable it was making him. Peter had already at this point decided where Jesus was supposed to fit into his life. He was supposed to be his rabbi, his teacher, his lord, his future king. He would be willing to die for Jesus' sake even. But to allow Jesus to wash his feet? No way. I'd imagine that this would be something like me inviting Dr. Steve or Pastor Peter to come over to to our house for dinner one day. So we could talk about youth ministry and and how things are going at the church and stuff. And let's say that they show up for dinner that day with their rubber gloves and their cleaning solution. Like, all right, before we have dinner, we're going to go and clean your bathroom, you know. And not just the hallway bathroom that might have already been kind of spot-checked by me and my wife, but the bathroom that's in your bedroom that we never would have thought anyone was going to get, get to see, right? And I'll be honest with you guys, like Connie and I, even though we have a baby at home, we're just really not good at being adults yet. So, so that bathroom's pretty dirty most of the time, Okay. In my mind, in this scenario, I've, I've already had this preconceived notion that, okay, when they come over for dinner, we're going to have a nice meal. Maybe we'll have some coffee, some dessert. We'll have a talk, and that'll be it. But there's no reason why they should ever see some of those dirty areas that I've pushed off to the side. So if Dr. Steve had invited himself into my dirty bathroom, it would have made me feel exposed. It would have pushed me to this uncomfortable limit where I, I felt like, man, there was, there was nothing in me that ever would have thought that you would have wanted to go into that space. And when God steps in and tries to reach into those kinds of places in our hearts that we've kept tucked away in our safe corners, we get so uncomfortable that we often react the way that Peter did. We turn away and reject his love and say, God, you're getting too close to those places that I never thought that you'd ever care to see. But the kind of love that God desires to show us requires that none of our rooms are off limits to him. 
Jesus responds to Peter, says, look, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If you're not able to invite me into those places too, if you don't let me be, Lord, not just of this safe space that you've created in your living room, but also in your dirty bathroom, in your dirty closet, then I'm not really Lord of all in your life. Then you have no share with me, is the way that Jesus phrases it. If Peter was unable to receive this unwarranted love from God, he could not be in relationship with God. And that's actually the core of what we believe as Christians, isn't it? That that we're products of grace. We acknowledge that while we're still sinners, we have no basis for relationship with God, he extended his grace to us. But there's still, even though I acknowledge that with my mind, there's still something that's so terribly unnerving, so uncomfortable about being on the receiving end of that grace. Maybe one of the reasons why um, we find that so uncomfortable is that it means that we don't get to set the terms of the relationship. We don't get to dictate to God where he's allowed to be and where he's not. Right? This reminds me a little bit of, of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus was hiding in this tree and he wanted to see him from a distance. And he said, well, I'm interested in seeing who Jesus is and I, I want to know about his teaching and I, I believe some of the things that people are saying about him. But as a tax collector, there's no way that he could really love me. So I'll just learn about him from this tree. And yeah, there's this crowd and he was short and so he needed to see from up there and stuff like that too. But Jesus literally walks up to the foot of that tree. He looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to dine at your house tonight. Jesus is inviting himself in and says, look, if you want me to be Lord, if there's going to be some kind of life transformation here, if I'm actually going to change the things that are in your heart, then I'm going to be the one that sets the terms. I'm not going to wait for you to invite me, but I'm going to tell you that I'm eating at your house today. And in a similar way, sometimes we show up on a Sunday morning at church, and we thought that it was just going to be a normal Sunday where you come in and sing my praise song and say hi to the people that I love. Listen to a, a nice passage from the, from the nice sermon from the pastor. But I'm sure most of you guys have had that experience for some days, for some reason, God creeps into those dirty places. And he says, look, stop trying to put me off into the shed. Stop trying to confine me into these safe areas that you've, you've fenced off. We don't get to set the terms of our relationship with him. We have no grounds for demanding anything from him because it's all by grace. And in our minds, sometimes that creates this uncertainty about whether or not we can trust or whether or not this is safe in our relationship with God. And as Jesus tells Peter, look, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. He's reminding Peter, look, the entire relationship that we've had until now, these past three years and going forward, it's all by grace. When the disciples were called into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, it would have been more typical for these Jewish boys who, who were coming into adulthood to choose a rabbi of their own, someone that they wanted to follow, someone they wanted to learn from, someone they kind of agreed with their theology on. But we know from the gospel accounts that Jesus is the one that goes out and calls his disciples. He's the one that chooses them. And he does the same for us. It's before we did anything or decided anything or believed anything, but while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And this foot washing ultimately does point to the cross where Jesus died for us. This isn't just some extrapolation. It's not a, a stretch of the imagination by any means. It's spelled out in the passage. 
In this final week of Jesus' life, everything that he's doing is preparing the disciples for his crucifixion. In John chapter 10, he tells the disciples that he is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead to show them that, indeed, the dead are raised. In John 12, Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus' feet with oil, and Jesus says it, is intended, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he shows the fulfillment of the prophecies and then predicts his impending death. When we arrive at this passage today in John 13, in verse 7, Jesus says, look, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. He's referring to, look, everything that's happening in this story, this foot-washing thing that's going on right now, the full meaning won't be grasped by any of you that are here until my crucifixion. Until you see me on that cross, until you see my raised body. And even in the preface to this account, at the very first couple of verses, John emphasizes that Jesus had in mind his coming death and his resurrection. The disciples would only be able to grasp the entirety of Jesus' teaching through the washing of his disciples' feet if they saw it in light of the cross. Jesus was priming them, preparing them, to be able to see the cross for all all that it was. That was his ultimate love act that would, to a much greater degree than this act of washing their feet, be countercultural, self-sacrificial, and intimate. The cross was coming, and it was going to be this ultimate act of love from Jesus that would show his disciples um, his love that was for their benefit, but for his glory. The cross would, just like this, be too uncomfortable for them to accept, for us to accept. And in response to the cross, we would want to cry out alongside of Peter, look, Lord, do you die for me? I would never let you die for me. Okay, Jesus, I know that you've been teaching me about sin and this, this divide between me and you, but you're still my God. This is just too weird, so please, Jesus, just come down from that tree. You really don't have to do it. I get it. You love me. You want to serve me. I get the message. But please, just don't die for me. And just as Jesus responded to Peter, he responds to us, Look, if I don't wash you with my blood, you have no share with me. Don't you understand that there is no other option? Either you let me love you this way, or you cannot cross that divide. You have no share with me. I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm the only way, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. This foot washing was intentionally made uncomfortable, just as the cross was intentionally made uncomfortable. If all Jesus had to do was just die for our sins, he could have died in any other way. It didn't have to be the cross. But the cross was meant to bring us to this place where we are made uncomfortable because, because of the nature of the cross. And I think there's maybe two ways that, for a lot of us, it makes us uncomfortable. One is that some of us may think too lightly of our sin, too little of our sin. And so the cross makes us uncomfortable because, look, God, you don't have to die for us because that's too extreme. My sins aren't that big. It's not that big of a deal. They don't deserve a penalty that is that large. And to some degree, that's true. My sin didn't need to be paid for by Jesus' death because it was supposed to be my death. But the truth is that my sin does deserve death and nothing less. 
For those of us with a small view of our sin, the cross shows us how great the penalty our sin deserves. And likewise, some of us may be made uncomfortable by the cross, not because we think too little of our sin, but because we think too little of ourselves. We think our sin is so great and that we are so little, we're so small in the eyes of God, and God should not be the one dying for us because he's too valuable, too worthy, too good, too big for him to love little old me that way. And again, yes, that's kind of true. We don't deserve any of God's love. It's not because we are so great that he had to do it for us. But it's also true that God placed in us a worth that makes it worth it for him to die for us. That he counted us valuable enough. So for those of us with such a small view of ourselves, the cross shows us how great God's love is for us. Now we could talk about how this act of love that Jesus portrayed to his disciples, and how uncomfortable that made Peter, um, how that informs how big God's love is for us and what kind of a love he often tries to show us and, and how we often react to it. But that doesn't really help us at this point to figure out, well, okay, then what do I do about it? But in this passage, in the following verses beyond what we read this morning, Jesus follows up with two commands, and both of them are, are right in line with one another. He, he asks his disciples right afterwards, do you understand what I've done for you? And the rest of it I'll kind of paraphrase, but Jesus basically tells them that he has set for them an example through this act, and therefore they should go and do likewise for one another. They should wash one another's feet. It's this interesting mechanic in the Christian worldview or in the way that Christians believe that the world works that, that God would choose to work within our world through these broken images of himself, right? Like, God could have very easily just come and done all the work in our hearts directly without using other people, without using especially sinful, messed up other people, you know? But the fact of the matter is that even if we don't understand why God chooses to work that way, and there are some reasons, but we won't get into that today, but even if we don't fully understand why God chooses that way, the fact of the matter is that he does work that way most of the time. In fact, he almost exclusively works that way. Meaning that more likely than not, Jesus will not actually come in the flesh and wash any of our feet, right? More likely than not, Jesus may not even speak to us with this loud, booming voice where we could actually hear and say like, wow, that was Jesus talking directly at me. Yes, he may do that, but, but in my 18 years of being a Christian, I've never had an experience quite like that. But he does regularly speak to us through a kind, of, kind word of a friend or an encouragement from a coworker, or a convicting or empowering message from a preacher. He serves us through the generosity of our community, our church, our family members. He refines us through our relationships with our spouses, or with our children, with our parents. And these relationships get messy. When we engage in real loving relationships with one another, it gets uncomfortable, kind of like this was with Jesus and Peter. And we stop being satisfied with this surface-level, acquaintance-level kind of friendship. We start to experience this sort of uncomfortable love. And while it's worthwhile to, to reflect on how Jesus' example of love speaks to all of those different kinds of relations for us, I do want to focus on just one of those today. And that's the kind of relationship that exists within our church body here at ICC. 
Immediately after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms that this was meant to be an example for them. Now they should go and wash one another's feet. They should be engaging in this kind of countercultural, self-sacrificial, intimate sort of relationship with one another. They should be willing to take off their outer garments and put, wrap that towel around their waist to really get down at the nitty-gritty with their brothers and sisters around them. There should be moments when people are caught on their heels, where there's resistance because it's pushing us beyond the boundaries of what we found to be comfortable. There should be moments where we push one another by inviting ourselves into each other's dirty bathrooms. Because let's be honest, if we stayed within our own comfort zones, there would be no transparency, there would be no vulnerability, there would be no way for our most shameful sins, for the place where God most needs to be present, most needs to work, for those things to be exposed, for those issues to be dealt with. Those shameful sins would remain tucked away where nobody at church could reach them. But because God desires to minister to our hearts in those dark places, and he does so through the fellowship of believers, we're being challenged in this passage to wash one another's feet and to allow other people to wash our feet then. To be pushed in our relationship with one another to those uncomfortable places. And that's where real community will shine. Where Christ and his grace and his love will reign supreme and that we will be able to testify that God is a God that heals and mends broken people like us. One of the things that Dr. Steve shared with me when I first started attending ICC that really, really... um, made me feel so at home and, like, encouraged and excited to be a part of a community like this that he shared with me that one of the values of the Thrive Network is that we minister out of our brokenness, right? And honestly, as I'm preaching this message, I'm not trying to say, like, man, ICC is so terrible at this because, honestly, in this last year, I felt a lot of that. and I've, I've received a lot of that from this community. But I think we still do need reminders to continue to be intentional about that to be intentional in building those kinds of relationships amongst us. So even though we know that we should do it, when it comes down to it, it still seems a pretty lofty goal. So how can I actually overcome this discomfort? How can I actually get through this resistance, internal resistance, whether conscious or subconscious, that makes me feel like, ah, it's just too much. I don't want to put myself in that kind of a situation. Well, if we look at the first three verses of this passage, we can see what Jesus did, why Jesus was able to engage in this kind of a loving relationship with his disciples. I'll just pick it apart in in three quick ways. One, Jesus really knew his purpose. In that first verse, it says that, look, when his hour had come, and he, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Look, his his purpose in this world had been fulfilled to, to a degree, right? It was about to reach its full fulfillment in the cross. But you're saying, look, my reason for being here was to love on my disciples. I knew why I was here. And having loved them, now I can go and show this love in this way. Okay? Knowing that my love in, for these people is of this degree. And knowing that that's why I'm here to begin with. Even if it makes me uncomfortable, that's my purpose. And so I'm going to go and do it. Second thing is that he knew that he was going to be hurt. And that it was going to be messy. 
The second verse talks about how Judas is scared. Jesus knowing that there was somebody who in that room who was going to betray him, that even after having washed his feet, even though Jesus was going to die on the cross for him, somebody in that room was going to betray him, that he still did this. And so for us, we also need to go into this knowing that it's going to get messy. When Jesus wrapped that towel around his waist, it wasn't because he thought like, oh, these guys are all clean, they're not going to need that much. But he was like, man, there's got to be some real foot washing going on here. We need to recognize that these kinds of intimate love relationships are going to be messy, that there will be hurt, that there will be struggle. But to know that going in is, gives us the upper hand in some, to some degree. And the last thing is that he kept his eyes fixed on eternity. It says that Jesus, he knew that he had come from the Father and that he was headed back to the Father. And because he knew what, where his, pur- what his purpose was, he knew that it was going to be messy, but he knew that there was an, a, a greater glory that was in store for him. He was willing to lay aside his comforts for the sake of loving his disciples. This morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would be open to be made, being made uncomfortable for the sake of love. That we will be vulnerable with one another as a church. That our ministry to others will be done not hiding our broken places, but out of those broken places that we tend to want to hide. That we would allow God to speak love into our hearts through our local church. That we would be open to be u- being used as vessels of that same love for the people around us. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for um, this word that you've given to us this morning. Lord, sometimes your love stretches us in ways that um, are so unexpected. We're so um, against everything that we thought that our relationship with you was supposed to be. Pushes us to this place where we are so um, uncomfortable. It really just makes us squirm and and makes us feel like ah, it's just too scandalous, too... too riveting for us to to, to sit under it. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to um, embrace that sort of love, to recognize our need for that sort of love, to recognize that your love for us is too great for us to let us um, leave those dirty places alone. God, we pray for a greater openness and a vulnerability in this community here at ICC. That in this church, that we would heed Christ's call to wash one another's feet, to follow the example that he set for us, that we would um, push ourselves to be intentional about building relationships that are like this. Lord, we thank you for using broken people like us to accomplish your purposes. And Father, we pray that that you would continue that work in our hearts as individuals. You would continue that work in our hearts as a church. And really that in all things, Lord, that we be reminded that it's only possible by your grace. So Lord, we lean into you, we depend on you. We pray for you to be at work here today. Praise in Jesus Christ's name.